Chapter Fifteen of Flower of the Dusk by Myrtle Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Song of the Pines. Upon the couch in the sitting room, though it was not yet noon, Miss Mattie slept peacefully. She had the repose not merely of one dead, but of one who had been dead long and was very weary at the time of dying. As Dr. Conrad had expected, her back was entirely well the morning following his visit, and when she awoke, free from pain, she had dinned his praises into Roger's ears, until that long-suffering young man was well-nigh fatigued. The subject was not exhausted, however, even though Roger was. "'I'll tell you what it is, Roger,' Miss Mattie had said, drawing a long breath and taking a fresh start. "'A young man that can cure a pain like mine with pills that size has a great future ahead of him as well as a brilliant past behind. He's a wonder-worker, that's what he is.' not to mention being a mind-reader as well. She had taken but half a dozen of the capsules the first day, having fallen asleep after taking the third dose. When Roger went to the office, very weary of Dr. Conrad's amazing skill, Miss Mattie had resumed her capsules and, shortly thereafter, fallen asleep. She had slept for the better part of three days, caring little for food and not in the least for domestic tasks. At the fourth day Roger became alarmed, but Dr. Conrad had gone back to the city and there was no one within his reach in whom he had confidence. At last it seemed that it was time for him to act, and he shook the sleeping woman vigorously. "'What's the matter, Roger?' she asked drowsily. "'Is it time for my medicine?' "'No, it isn't time for medicine, but it's time to get up. Your back doesn't hurt you, does it?' "'No,' murmured Miss Mattie. "'My back is as good as it ever was. What time is it?' "'Almost four o'clock.' and you've been asleep ever since ten this morning. Wake up. Eight, ten, twelve, two, four, breathed Miss Mattie, counting on her fingers. Then, to his astonishment, she sat up straight and rubbed her eyes. If it's four, it's time for my medicine. She went over to the cupboard in which the precious box of capsules was kept, took two more, and returned to the couch. She still had the box in her hand. Mother, gasped Roger, horrified. "'What are you taking that medicine for?' "'For my back,' she responded sleepily. "'I thought your back was well.' "'So tis. "'Then what in thunder do you keep on taking dope for?' Miss Mattie sat up. She was very weary and greatly desired her sleep, but it was evident that Roger must be soothed at first. "'You don't seem to understand me,' she sighed with a yawn. "'After paying a dollar and twenty cents for that medicine, "'do you reckon I'm going to let it go to waste?' I'm going to keep right on taking it, every four hours, as he said, until it's used up. Mother! Don't you worry none, Roger, said Miss Mattie, kindly, with a drowsy smile. Your mother is being took care of by a wonderful doctor. He makes the lame walk and the blind see and cures large pains with small pills. I am going to stick to my medicine. He didn't say to stop taking it. But, Mother, you mustn't take it when there is no need for it. He never meant for you to take it after you were cured. Besides, you might have the same trouble again, when we couldn't get a hold of him. How am I to have it again? demanded Miss Mattie, pricking up her ears. When I'm cured? If I take all the medicine, I'll stay cured, won't I? You ain't got no logic, Roger. No more'n your pa had. I wish you wouldn't, mother, pleaded the boy, genuinely distressed. It's the medicine that makes you sleep so. I reckon responded Miss Mattie, settling herself comfortably back among the pillows, that he wanted me to have some sleep. 
in all my life i ain't never had such sleep as i'm havin now you go away roger and study law you ain't cut out for medicine the last words died away in an incoherent whisper miss mattie slept again with the box tightly clutched in her hand as her fingers gradually loosened their hold roger managed to gain possession of it without waking her he did not dare dispose of it for he well knew that the maternal resentment would make the remainder of his life a burden besides she might have another attack when the ministering mind-reader was not accessible if it were possible to give her some harmless substitute and at the same time keep the search in medicine for a time of need a bright idea came to roger which he hastened to put into execution he went to the druggist and secured a number of empty capsules of the same size at home he laboriously filled them with flour and replaced those in the box with an equal number of them he put the searching medicine safely away in his desk at the office and went to work his heart warmed by the pleasant consciousness that he had done a good deed when he went home at night miss mattie was partially awake and inclined to be fretful the strength has gone out of my medicine she grumbled and it ain't time to take more i've got to set here and be deprived of my sleep until eight o'clock roger prepared his own supper and induced his mother to eat a little when the clock began to strike eight she took two of the flower-filled capsules confidently climbed upstairs and such is the power of suggestion was shortly asleep having an unusually favorable opportunity roger went over to see barbara he had not seen her since the night before the operation but dr conrad had told him that in a few days he might be allowed to talk to her or read to her for a little while at a time miriam opened the door for him and he thought looked at him with unusual sharpness i guess you can see her she said shortly i'll ask her in the pathetically dingy room out of which barbara had tried so hard to make a home he waited until miriam returned they said to come up she said and disappeared roger climbed the creaking stairs and made his way through the dark narrow hall to the open door from whence a faint light came come in called barbara as he paused ambrose north sat by her bedside holding her hand but she laughingly offered the other to roger bad boy she said why haven't you come before i've lain here in the window and watched you go back and forth for days i didn't dare returned roger i was afraid i might do you harm by coming and so i stayed away everybody has been so kind barbara went on people i never saw nor heard of have come to inquire and give me things you're absolutely the last one to come last and least not quite she said with a smile but i haven't been lonely father has been right beside me all the time except when i've been asleep haven't you daddy i've wanted to be smiled the old man but sometimes they made me go away tell me about the judge's liver suggested barbara and fido i've been thinking a good deal about fido did his legal document hurt him not in the least on the contrary he thrived on it he liked it so well that he's eaten others as opportunity offered the judge is used to it now and doesn't mind i've been thinking that it might save time and trouble if when i copied the papers i took an extra carbon copy for fido that pup literally eats everything he's cut some of his teeth on a pair of rubbers that a client left in the office and this noon he ate nearly half a box of matches i suppose remarked barbara that he was hungry and wanted a light lunch that'll be all from you just now laughed roger you're going to get well all right i can see that of course i'm going to get well who dared to say i wasn't nobody that i know of do you want me to bring fido to see you some day said barbara thoughtfully 
I would like to have you lead Fido up and down in front of the house, but I do not believe I would care to have him come inside. So they talked for half an hour or more. The blind man sat silently, holding Barbara's hand, too happy to feel neglected or in any way slighted. From time to time her fingers tightened upon his in a reassuring clasp that took the place of words. Acutely self-conscious, Roger's memory barked back continually to the last evening he and Barbara had spent together. In a way, he was grateful for North's presence. It measurably lessened his constraint, and the subtle antagonism that he had hitherto felt in the house seemed wholly to have vanished. At last the blind man rose, still holding Barbara's hand. "'It is late for old folks to be sitting up,' he said. "'Don't go, Daddy. Make a song first, won't you? A little song for Roger and me.' He sat down again, smiling. "'What about?' he asked. "'About the pines,' suggested Barbara. "'The tallest pines on the hills.' There was a long pause. Then, clearing his throat, the old man began. "'Even the tall and stately pines,' he said, "'were once the tiniest of seeds, like everything else, for everything in the world. Either good or evil has a very small beginning. They grow slowly, and in summer when you look at the dark, bending boughs, you can see the year's growth in paler green at the tips. No one pays much attention to them, for they are very dark and quiet compared with the other trees. But the air is balmy around them. They scatter a thick fragrant carpet underneath. And there is no music in the world, I think, like a sea wind blowing through the pines. When the brown cones fall, the seeds drop out from between the smooth satin-like scales. And so, in the years to come, a dreaming mother pine broods over a whole forest of smaller trees. A pine is lonely and desolate, if there are no smaller trees around it. A single one, towering against the sky, always means loneliness. But where you see a little clump of evergreens huddled together, braving the sleet and snow, it warms your heart. In summer they give fragrant shade, and in winter a shelter from the coldest blast. The birds sleep among the thick branches, finding seeds for food in the cones and on some trees blue waxen berries. Before the darkness came to me, I saw a love story in a forest of pines. One tree was very straight and tall, and close beside it was another, not quite so high. The taller tree leaned protectingly over the other, as if listening to the music the wind made on its way from the hills to the sea. As time went on, their branches became so thickly interlaced that you could scarcely tell one from the other. Around them sprang up half a dozen or more smaller trees, sheltered, brooded over, and faithfully watched by these two with the interlaced branches. The young trees grew straight and tall, but when they were not quite half-grown, a man came and cut them all down for Christmas trees. When he took them away, the forest was strangely desolate to these two, who now stood alone. When the Daughters of Dawn opened wide the gates of darkness, and the Lord of Light fared forth upon the sea, they saw it not. When it was high noon, and there were no shadows, even upon the hill, it seemed that they might lift up their heads, but they only twined their branches more closely together. When all the flaming tapestry of heaven was spread in the west, they leaned nearer to each other and sighed. When the night wind stirred their boughs to faint music, it was like the moan of a heart that refuses to be comforted. When spring danced through the forest, leaving flowers upon her way, while all the silences were filled with life and joy, these two knew it not, for they were bereft. Mating calls echoed through the woods, and silver sounds dripped like rain from the maples. But there was no love song in the boughs of the pines. The birds went by on hushed wings and built their nests far away. 
when maples put on the splendid robes of autumn the pines more gaunt and desolate than ever covered the ground with a dense fabric of needles lacking in fragrance when the winds grew cool and the little people of the forest pattered swiftly through the dead and scurrying leaves there was no sound from the pines they only waited for the end when storm swept through the forest and the other trees bowed their heads in fear these two straightened themselves to meet it for they were not afraid frightened birds took refuge there and the little people with wild beating hearts crept under the spreading boughs to be sheltered vast reverberating thunders sounded from hill to hill and the sea answered with crashing surges that leaped high upon the shore suddenly from the utter darkness a javelin of lightning flashed through the pines but they only trembled and leaned closer still one by one with the softness of falling snow the leaves dropped upon the brown carpet beneath but there was no more fragrance since the sap had ceased to move through the secret channels and breathe balm into the forest snow lay heavily upon the lower boughs and they broke instead of bending when spring danced through the world again piping her plaintive music upon the farthest hills the pines were almost bare all through the sweet summer the needles kept dropping every frolicsome breeze of june carried some of them a little farther down the road every full moon shone more clearly through the barrier of the pines and at last when the chill winds of autumn chanted a requiem through the forest it was seen that the pines had long been dead but they so leaned together and their branches were so interlaced that even in death they stood as one they had passed their lives together they had borne the same burdens faced the same storms and rejoiced in the same warmth of summer sun one was not left stricken long after the other was dead their last grief was borne together and was lessened because it was shared i stand there sometimes now where the two dead trees are leaning close together and as the wind sighs through the bare boughs it chants no dirge to me but only a hymn of farewell there is nothing in all the world barbara that means so much as the one word together and when you add love to it you have heaven for god himself can give no more joy than to bring together two who love never to part again thank you said barbara gently after a pause i thank you too said roger ambrose north rose and offered his hand to roger good night he said i am glad you came your father was my friend then he bent to kiss barbara good night my dear friend repeated roger to himself as the old man went out yes friend who never betrayed you or yours the boy thrilled with passionate pride at the thought before the memory of his father his young soul stood at salute barbara's eyes followed her father fondly as he went out and down the hall to his own room when his door closed roger came to the other chair sat down and took her hand it's not really necessary explained barbara with a faint pink upon her cheeks i shall probably recover even if my hand isn't held all the time but i want to returned roger and she did not take her hand away her cheeks took on a deeper color and she smiled but there was something in her deep eyes that roger had never seen there before i've missed you so he went on and i have missed you she did not dare to say how much how long must you be here not much longer i hope somebody is coming down next week to take off the plaster then after i've stayed in bed a little longer they'll see whether i can walk or not she sighed wistfully and a strange expression settled on her face as she looked at the crutches which still leaned against the foot of her bed why do you have those there asked roger quickly 
to remind me always that i mustn't hope too much it's just a chance you know if you don't need them again may i have them why she asked startled because they are yours they've seemed a part of you ever since i've known you i couldn't bear to have thrown away anything that was part of you even if you've outgrown it certainly answered barbara in a high uncertain voice you're very welcome and i hope you can have them barbara roger knelt beside the bed still keeping her hand in his what did i say that was wrong nothing she answered with difficulty but after bearing all this it seems hard to think that you don't want me to be to be separated from my crutches because they have belonged to me always you think they always must barbara when you've always understood me must i begin explaining to you now i've never had anything that belonged to you and i thought you wouldn't mind if it was something you didn't need any more i wouldn't care what it was if i see she interrupted a blinding flash of insight had indeed made many things wonderfully clear here wouldn't you rather have this she slipped a knot of pale blue ribbon from the end of one of her long golden braids and gave it to him yes he said then he added anxiously are you sure you don't need it if you do if i do she answered smiling i'll either get another or tie my braid with a string outwardly they were back upon the old terms again but for the first time since the mud-pie days barbara was self-conscious her heart beat strangely heavy with the presence of new knowledge when roger rose from his chair with a bit of blue ribbon protruding from his coat pocket she laughed hysterically but roger did not laugh he bent over with all his boyish soul in his eyes she crimsoned as she turned away from him please he asked very tenderly you did once no she cried shrilly roger straightened himself instantly then i won't he said softly i won't do anything you don't want me to ever End of chapter 15